I'm Misty Winkler, and you're listening to the Convivial Homeschool Audio Blog, Episode 71. Welcome to another season of Short But Meaty Focus Sessions to help you keep your head in the game as a homeschooling mom. Convivial is really another way of saying school A. It gets at the heart of what we want, a holistic education that reaches the soul as well as the brain, that brings peace rather than stress, and that directs our attention to what is true, good, and beautiful. This season, we'll spend more time learning what the ancients and early church fathers had to say about education, because we should be standing on the shoulders of these giants rather than making it up as we go along. So let's dig in. Knowledge bears fruit. In my very slow reading through the great tradition, classical readings on what it means to be an educated human being, I'm approaching the end of the classical period and entering the early church phase. Philo straddles the gap in a particular way. He's not Roman, although he lives in Alexandria as a contemporary to Jesus. He is rather an educated and politically influential Jew. A scribe, we might call him. Perhaps he was a Pharisee, perhaps a Sadducee, but he was a Jew with social clout. Also, his use of scripture is rather shocking. In his extended and very stretched metaphor of education leading to virtue, the classical paradigm, Sarah, Abraham's wife, is virtue, while Hagar, the handmaid, is learning, knowledge, and education. We come to fruitful knowledge of virtue only after a fruitful knowledge of the encyclical branches of instruction, Philo says. The metaphor doesn't really work because we know through the New Testament revelation that Sarah and Hagar were meant to represent something and it wasn't education or virtue. Also, virtue does not disbelieve God's promise and come up with strategies of her own. And God gives the child of promise despite interference, not because of it. So his metaphor is bizarre and doesn't hold water, but even that in itself gives us insight into Jesus's frustration with the scribes and the synagogues, and perhaps explains the people's astonishment at Jesus's teaching from scripture. No wonder it was nothing like their scribes and teachers. Although Phila's method for illustrating his point actually undermines it, his point is valid. We learn in order, ultimately, to become virtuous. Virtue is the fruit of education, not mere understanding, not economic advantage, not checking the boxes that society expects. As David Hicks puts it in Norms and Nobility, quote, the purpose of education is not the assimilation of facts or the retention of information, but the habituation of the mind and body to will and to act in accordance with what one knows. Philo was saying the same thing when he wrote, quote, The encyclical branches of instruction are placed in front of virtue, for they are the road which conducts to her. Virtue, acting rightly, is the goal, and the best path to her is not a cloistered life or a sticker chart. Quote, Perhaps we shall become known to the queenly virtues by means of their subjects and handmaids. For, quote, the acquisition of all preliminary branches of education is wholly necessary to attain virtue. We learn in order to bear fruit, not simply in order to know. And the corollary is true. 
In order to bear fruit, we must learn and know. Next up is Tacitus. He was a first century Roman and historian who desperately wanted Rome to return to the good old days. Make Rome great again would have been his cry, but he was informed and eloquent. So Tacitus tells us what made the good old days so good. Even if his ideal never really existed, it still teaches us what the goals were and what were the methods of those who were successful. We learn education is not tricks or training, but a liberal, generous and general knowledge. Quote, First, I must say a word or two about the rigorous system which our forefathers followed in the matter of upbringing and training of their children. The treatise here excerpted is, like Quintilian, about how to best train an orator, a statesman, a persuader of people. Tacitus, like Quintilian, Cicero, and Plato, says it all starts with childhood upbringing. He urges the decadent Romans not to leave the rearing of their children to slaves, or servants or nannies or daycare but to value the bringing up of children as an honorable task, one that only a wise mother is fit for. Quote, In the presence of such a one, no base word could be uttered without grave offense, and no wrong deed done. The mother cares about her children, but the servant does not. Let the child be in the care of someone who cares, at home and when he is ready for school. Quote, the object of this rigorous system was that the natural disposition of every child, while still sound at the core and untainted, not warped as yet by any vicious tendencies, might at once lay hold with heart and soul on virtuous accomplishments. This is the laying down the rails of habit. Will his early life lay rails that make virtue appealing and possible? Or will his habits have turned vicious so early that it is hard to change course later? He deplores the fact that most small talk in the home as well as among children is about trashy entertainment, gladiator games, and circus tricks. It is hard not to draw the modern equivalent today. Of the cultural prevalence of demeaning entertainment, Tacitus notes, And when the mind is engrossed in such occupation, what room is left over for higher pursuits? How few are to be found whose home talk runs to any other subjects than these. If we want higher pursuits for our children, our conversation must be fitting our aim. What does our dinnertime conversation reinforce about what is truly important and what is truly interesting to us? In school, facts might be memorized and rote mimic skills might be gained, but Tacitus mourns, quote, it is in the reading of authors and in gaining a knowledge of the past and in making acquaintance with things and persons and occasions that too little solid work is done. General and wide knowledge is the foundation of the educated mind, the roots that nourish it and cause it to grow. Quote, it is only from a wealth of learning and a multitude of accomplishments and a knowledge that is universal that his marvelous eloquence wells forth like a mighty stream. Multum non multa is classical, but the minimalist interpretation it often gets is not. Multum non multa as a summary of the ancient perspective is anti-specialization, not anti-broadness or anti-generosity. 
This is yet another author proving that Charlotte Mason's conception of a wide and generous education is well-grounded in ancient philosophy and practice. Moreover, learning to be a statesman, a public speaker, a persuader of man should not be learning some tricks and techniques, but rather, quote, the one thing needful was to stock the mind with those accomplishments which deal with good and evil, virtue and vice, justice and injustice. Let us stock our children's minds well. And now it's time for this season's simple sanity saver, math tips. I am not a math person. Math has been the subject that daunts me the most when I think about the big picture of homeschooling. Or at least it did. Now that I'm 10 years into this gig, and I have a high schooler who's well into Algebra 2, I am neither daunted nor worried. Math tip number three. Pull out the pages use clipboards, and have a container for kids to turn in their work. This workflow that we use with Matthew C. is probably my best math tip. First, I tear out the math page to be completed the next day from the workbook. The kids do not handle the workbooks themselves directly. If they did, the covers would be torn in no time, and I'd have a headache figuring out what I'm supposed to be assigning and checking on in each of the four books that don't stay open to be checked. And Matthew C., after all, is a mastery-based program. That means we rarely do all the pages in a lesson. And then, at other times, they need more pages for other lessons than what are included in the workbooks. When I tear out their work pages and stick them on their color-coded clipboards, it doesn't matter whether I pulled the page from the workbook, the test book, or off the printer. They know and I know this is their math for the day and it's on their clipboard. Plus, we make them correct their work until they get 100%. Mastery approach, right? So if a page isn't 100%, back it goes onto the clipboard. Whatever is on the clipboard is the work to be done. And where do they put it when they are done? At one point, they were supposed to put it onto my clipboard when they were finished so that I could check it. However, my clipboard could be anywhere and it always had other things that I wanted to see on top. So I bought a mail sorter and it lives on our counter. When they finish their math, it goes into the mail sorter to be checked. If it's all correct, the page goes into the trash or into the fire starter bin. If it needs another go, it goes back onto their clipboard. Now that my husband is checking the math, this process also makes it obvious to him when there's math to be corrected. Figuring out a workflow process so that everyone knows exactly what needs to be done with the least amount of rifling and questioning is the goal. And that's it for this episode of the Convivial Homeschool Audio Blog. Are you interested in homeschooling with clarity, calm, and conviction? I know you are. I am too. So let's do it together. I've created a quick, heart-focused mini workshop called Get a Grip and a Game Face. It's free, and it's the perfect way to start off your homeschool year. Head on over to simplyconvivial.com audio, click on Season 12, and access the free workshop. Remember, education begins with repentance. Repent. Rejoice. Repeat. Repeat.